As we come now to God's Word, would you turn in your Bibles to Ezra in chapter 4. That's Ezra chapter 4. It's just a few books before Psalms. So if you can find Psalms, just turn to your left until you bump into it. And as you turn there, would you please pray with me? Our God, as we come before your word, would you help us to honor you, to listen to you, and as we do this, would you strengthen our hearts by the grace of your word? Would you nourish us with the food of your word? Help us now by your spirit. Would you guide us and help us to believe? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Ezra in chapter 4. We'll read the first six verses here, starting in verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Asarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Yeshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord the God of Israel, as Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, and even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. This is God's word. Not long ago, we, we ended our very long, months-long journey through Mark's gospel as we followed Jesus in his life and death and resurrection. We ended that just in time for Advent uh, so that during the Advent season, we could focus on the message of God through the angels. And now... We're headed in a new direction, or at least a a different direction. We'll be spending a few months now in the Old Testament with Esther. So what are we doing in Ezra this morning? Uh, I think, I hope, uh, this text will help us transition and that you'll see why that matters for us later. So this is a bridge then to get us into Esther, but But it's not just a bridge to get us to the other side. As we're walking across this bridge, I want us to stop and to turn and to look out over the bridge because there are things here that God would show us about himself that will help us to honor him and will encourage us. So that's the hope. 
Uh, we're in chapter four today of Ezra, and we've just kind of dropped right into the middle of the story. There's three chapters before, and then there's some chapters after. So we've dropped into the middle of Ezra. We've also kind of just dropped right into the middle of the Bible as a whole, and that happens no matter where you read in the Bible. Even if you're in Genesis, and even if you're in Revelation, you're, you're dropping into the middle of a story. If we took out all the, the titles that sometimes my Bible has them in there that kind of help me sift through what it, the section's about. If you took out all the titles and, and you took out all the chapter numbers and all the verse numbers and all the headings and all of that, it'd be easier to see that the Bible is one big, true, continuous story. Continuous, even though it jumps around a little bit, it's all pointing in the same direction. And that is that the Bible is the story of God displaying and sharing his glory in all creation. So we then are born into that story, just like they, in the time of Ezra here, uh, the guys with funny names like Zerubbabel, uh, which just throws you off if you have to read all of this out loud. Uh, these, these ones are born into this same story. At this time, this chapter of the whole story of the Bible, historically, is at about, give or take a little bit, 537 B.C. We know that not just from the Bible, but from history books. But you don't need to be a historian or a big fancy scholar to get the bulk of what's happening here. We just have to slow down a little bit as we read and you can see what's going on. And let's do that just a bit here to get some context. Look at verse one. So we see there's adversaries of, of Judah and Benjamin. And we know that Judah and Benjamin are, are tribes of the nation of Israel, tribes of Judah. Uh, so these are, are Jews here. And we see that they, they're returned exiles. So exile, you know what that is, that they've been taken out of their home, and now they're able to come back. For Judah and Benjamin, that had been about 50 years before that they were taken away from their home. But now they're allowed to come back. That was under the Babylonians. And they've come back now, verse 1 still, to build a temple to the Lord. One of the first things they do is they're coming back in. It's not a building of the temple. It's a rebuilding of the temple. The temple was there, Temple of Solomon, uh, that, that he had built uh, centuries before. But that temple had been burned by the Babylonians. So now these Jews have come back in to their homeland originally and have come to rebuild the temple. And, and you have to wonder if they could see the char marks where the temple had once been. You know, it was 50 years before. The smoke smell is probably gone, but the rubble is probably still there. So that's what, what, they're, what the Jews are doing. Verse 2, we see that there's other people involved besides the Jews that want to help. Uh, they, they say that they're, they were imported to that land, too, under the king of Assyria. And, and that, was the Assyria, that was the king's strategies at that time. When you conquer a land, the way you deal with that is you take the people out of the land, and then you take some of the people from your homeland, and you import them. 
so that all the people are kind of intermixed and that helps to bring unity to the empire. So there's other people besides the Jews now in this homeland of, of Israel. And then in verse 3, uh, they say that it was under the command of King Cyrus, who's a Persian, that they've come in. So let me pull some of this together. The Jews had now been under the empire of the Assyrians, who were then conquered by the Babylonians, who were then conquered by the Persians, who now let them come home to rebuild. That's what's going on. So, so while, while the Jews are, the exiled Jews have come in to rebuild the temple, the other ones who weren't Jews uh, say, we want to help. We want to build uh, this temple again with you. And they're told, no. They're told uh, even worse than no, you have nothing to do with us, which that just seems rude. You know, oh, come on, like, uh, aren't you supposed to share or something? You know, if someone says, I want to help you build this, don't you go, yes, yes, please, how many hammers do you have? But they're told, no, don't help us. It reminds me uh, of a period of time when I was in seminary. One summer, I worked at a, at a preschool. Um, it was something more like a day camp, I suppose. I had, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, kids running around everywhere and lots of boogers. Uh, but, but the way this preschool worked is that there were all these uh, toys or little things on the shelves, and they called them the work. And a child could choose a toy off the shelf, their work, and play with it or work. And so if another kid wants to come in to join them, they would have to say, can I work with you? And then the first child can either say yes or walk away. That's what they were supposed to say. That was very strange for me when I first came in because there's all these little three-year-olds. It's just funny going, you need to walk away. And I was like, oh man, this is not how I'm used to this going. And so it kind, of, it, it kind of feels like this now. The Jews have gone, someone else says, can we work with you? And they say, you need to walk away. Now, this is not because they're being selfish or rude or because they're being preschoolers or, or because the temple is really belonging to them even. This is because even though these other people say that they worship the Lord, that they have sacrificed to the Lord, and that's true, they've offered sacrifices to God, these other people groups did not worship only the Lord. They worshiped the Lord and the God of the Persians and the God of the Assyrians and these other gods. Their worship was blended by multiple gods. You cover all the bases just in case. So they would have been like a Jewish, Buddhist, Christian, Muslim, something like that. That's called syncretism, by the way, word you should know. Syncretism, which is blended worship. And it's common even now that, you, that we get a sort of Frankenstein faiths where people choose pieces of certain things that, and kind of blend them together in a mush of, an, of a new religion. And, and we tend to want to keep the parts of faith that we like and just get rid of the parts that we don't 
And that's not the way that God works. God here says, I am the only master. I am the only Lord. I am the only God. I am the Lord. There is no other. I will not give my glory to another. We all know that if you take different types or colors of Play-Doh and you put them together, they don't make a new color, of the pretty combination color of Play-Doh. They make a brown goop. And we don't want our faith to be like that. We want a real faith that's centered then on the Lord. So the Jews then have told these other people, they're not trying to be rude or nasty about it. They're just saying, as long as you worship those other gods, you are not of us. You are not of God. You are not of this temple. And so you need to walk away. Now, that makes these other people groups mad, and you can see it at the end of the section. There's a lot of things that happen. They try to discourage them, to make them afraid. Uh, they're, they're bribing people and frustrating people. They're even writing accusing letters to the king about the Jews. They're doing everything they can to intimidate or threaten the Jews. So this homecoming for the Jews is full of trouble. And to make it worse, that trouble is not just coming from the outside. There's some difficult things happening from the inside. If we back up, so we've just read chapter 4. Look back in verse, or chapter 3, verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, so this is just the beginning platform. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So there was this huge ceremony around this rebuilding of the temple. There's shouting and trumpets and, and, and cymbals and all of that. They, they sang responsively, just like we did this morning uh, in our call to worship. And, and there was great shouts of joy, but there were also sobs. Look at the next verses, verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. There's so much shouting and joy, and there's so much sad weeping that the writer of Ezra here says you couldn't even tell the difference. Now, why are some of the people crying? He says specifically here that it's, that it's old men, his words, 
not mine. The old men were crying, which that's difficult because in certain cultures, old men don't cry. But here they're just weeping because they remember the old temple in its former glory. They saw it. They lived there under that temple, they, and, they, and they miss it. So now, as they're rebuilding, the experience of the people is mixed. On one hand, there's joyful hope, and on the other hand, there's this somber remembrance of the way things used to be. I know some of you know what that's like. I saw it in your faces a few weeks ago when there was the Christmas music playing from the choir decades before, remembering old times and just missing it, missing the former glory. Now, what they're missing here is not just the temple building itself, although Solomon's temple would have been Glorious. I mean, it was covered in gold. It had cypress beams. There were all these intricate carvings on it. It's covered in precious stones. So you'd go, whoa, when you see it. But that's not primarily what they're missing. They're missing the glory of the presence of God with them. This ceremony here in Ezra sounds very simple, similar to the, the original dedication of the temple in, in first, uh, Second Chronicles. Chapter 5. Let me read just a few verses here. Second Chronicles 5. Here was the original temple, the one that had been burned. Verse 1. Thus, all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated and stored the silver and the gold and all the vessels and the treasuries of the house of God. Skip now to verse 13. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments and praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. The first temple that was built, they, they gathered to say, hey, it's kind of the ribbon cutting. Here we go. It's finally finished. And as they're singing cymbals, clanging, people shouting, a cloud descends on it, a thick fog, billowing smoke that brings the people to their knees in reverence could actually see the glory of God there. That temple was burned. And now here, in Ezra, they're trying to rebuild the temple, and they're standing at what is currently just a foundation, just the floor. And you can imagine what they might be wondering Will God dwell with us again? Or has the sin that brought God to exile us 
is that sin ruined us forever. They might be wondering, will God be present in that sort of glory again? Or are those days over? You can see then why there would be joyful hope mixed with somber remembrance. And it's during this time, you can see him, he shows up in, in chapter 5 of Ezra, that uh, the prophet Haggai comes onto the scene, and the Lord speaks then uh, through this prophet and says, the story is not over. This is in Haggai, if I can find it, this tiny little prophet. Haggai in chapter 2. So this is now to the people that have come in and are trying to rebuild the temple. Haggai chapter 2. Verse 1, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you peoples of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations so that all the treasures of the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver's mine, the gold's mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. You can hear it there. The Lord says, the best days are not behind you. The best days are before you. The latter glory is going to be much greater than the former glory that you knew. It will be, on, be beyond what you can ask or imagine. So the Lord then says, so listen, people of God. I want you to build and be strong. I, I want you to, to work with all your might, for I am with you. And don't be afraid because of the covenant promises that I've made to you. He says, my glory is going to be your peace. There may be a somber remembrance, but there is joyful hope because I have not abandoned you.
they needed to hear that. Especially now. They need to hear that the glory of God, the peace of God is, is coming because right now they are struggling with peace. Right now, the adversaries are discouraging and frustrating and bribing and accusing. The adversaries are bringing threats, and those threats even last a very long time. You can see that in the text at the end of, of verse 5. Uh, they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, even until the reign of Darius, and in the reign of Ahasuerus. You can hear those three kings, Cyrus, Darius, Ahasuerus. They've gone through three kings now of trouble. This last king, by the way, that's mentioned here in verse 6, the king Ahasuerus was a Persian king, and that was the king during the time of Esther. We'll meet him and get to interact with him a little bit next week when we start in Esther chapter 1. But for now, all of this that's going on brings a question then for them and for us, which is this. If God's people here are wondering about the, the presence of the glory of God at this homecoming, when they're on the home field advantage of the promised land of Israel, they might also wonder, what, if anything, does the glory of God look like at an away game, in a foreign land, in the land of Persia, or in the land of Rensselaer? What does the glory of God then look like in a context other than the, the nation of Israel? Because sometimes, if we're honest, I mean, the Bible just feels very foreign. A very, it's a very different culture. Uh, it can be, if we feel very uh, culturally removed from it, so much of that feels uh, just kind of ancient, if we're honest. And we might think, okay, this is great. Uh, for this people, I mean, that's great for a people in 537 BC who were at the foundations of the new temple in Israel. But here I am in 2018 in a church building in Missouri. Where is the presence of the glory of God now? Hmm. That's a good question for us, one that we'll get to explore. But for now, I know that they were standing before the temple, the foundation at least, which was the mark of God's presence. We're not doing that. But we are sitting before another mark of God's presence. It's right here. The Lord's at the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus then gives us the sacrament of his own body and blood to nourish us with the glory of his grace, to strengthen us to do the kinds of things that Haggai was saying to the people, as you build, be strong. Work for all your might, for I am with you. 
and don't fear because of the new covenant in my blood. This bread and this juice is not the physical body and blood of Jesus, but it is the spiritual presence of Jesus. Jesus is really here, now. He communes with us here. He is present with us. So now as we receive these things by faith, our response is really two things intermingled so much that you can't pull them apart and tell the difference. One is a somber remembrance of the death of Jesus, a sacrifice for sin once for all time. But the other is a joyful hope in the resurrection of Jesus that the latter glory in days to come will be far greater than we could ever or have ever known. Would you pray with me now? Our great God, we thank you for your faithfulness even in our unworthiness. Would you help us to trust you? Would you humble us and bring us joy? We ask now that you would bless this bread and this juice. Would you set it aside as holy for your purposes to strengthen your people in faith? We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.